0: Hello and welcome to Discord, a podcast to explore the intersection between music and theatre. I'm Adam Lenton and week by week I will be trying to figure out the conundrum that is musical theatre. Welcome to episode 14. Discord.
1: There's something to be said to theatre that says something. And I take issue with people who go, well it doesn't have to say anything, it doesn't have to mean anything. Well then why are you doing it? don't waste my time as an audience member and why are you wasting your time just for the sake of being different and alienating an audience
0: on this week's episode i interview playwright and actor savan green savan has worked in both new york and london in america and britain in both disciplines work as an actor in new york includes the lortel award-winning betrayed and new york theater workshops aftermath work in tv includes episodes of blue bloods and damages and film includes the dictator in 2010 he joined the Public Theatre's Emerging Writers Group and began a career as a writer, and in 2013 decided to move to London to focus on his writing. His credits in London include Theatre Royal Stratford East's production of The House of In Between*. He also now functions as Theatre Royal Stratford East's new musical theatre manager. I started by asking Savan if he could tell me a little bit about his varied backstory that brought him to this moment.
1: So I was born and raised in Kuwait and then escaped to America, to Florida specifically, during the Gulf War. I got started in theatre because the school that I went to didn't have the sports that I played in Kuwait. So they didn't have a volleyball or a soccer team at the time because they weren't massive sports in the States. So I ended up um, signing up for an acting class because I thought, I'll just do that. Because my mother used to be an actress in Lebanon, my brother did it in high school, and I sort of always had this... Fantasy when I was a child that I would that I would be in a TV show with with Robin Williams and that was sort of started my love affair with theater. I didn't discover musicals until my junior year of high school because um, I, I'd only done plays at that point and I was sort of resistant to this idea of singing in plays because I thought I don't sing and I used to just spend all my time at music stores just finding like random music and listening to it because I just loved doing that and I just one day I came and walked into a music store that had like musical theatre section, and I just didn't know what that was. And I started just literally looking through all the cassettes, just finding the cover that appealed to me the most, because I didn't know what any of these things were.
0: Savannah is someone who, at a time of great upheaval in his life, found that musicals were able to involve him, affect him, and say something.
1: And then I got the Follies cast recording, and that sort of made me go from that to another piece, to another piece. I ended up watching Into the Woods as part of a theatre class in school. And then my best friend at the time introduced me to the family of the opera, and we used to drive around, you know, singing those songs at the top of our lungs, um, and then going from there to like Secret Garden and City of Angels, and slowly it's sort of like building and building. And when I started performing outside of school, it was mostly musicals, and I sort of got trained by um, these old hands who'd done musicals for most of their lives. And so when I went to New York to be a professional actor, it was to do musical theater and realised that they didn't put my people in musical theatre. So I ended up going back and doing plays. But then every once in a while I would get an opportunity to do a musical. So I did like a production of New Brain. I did new musicals at Nymph and at The Fringe. I did um, world premieres of musicals at off Broadway places like The New Group. So
0: and- Savan turned his passion for theatre into a career as an actor. But it also wasn't long before he realised that he had something to say and wanted to write too.
1: I became a writer three years into living in New York very accidentally and um sort of avoided wanting to write musicals because i just didn't i didn't feel ready to do that Um, and i didn't start writing musicals until i came until i moved to london
0: savan moved to london in 2013.
1: i moved to london because i got so frustrated with the industry in new york i just i couldn't find a place for myself in it as an actor or as a writer and i felt it was sort of very limiting and marginalizing and wasn't open to exploring different stories by different people I've I've found sort of more openness and more success in London than I have in New York.
0: I asked Savan, as someone who spent a lot of time working in musical theatre in New York, what his observations were on the differences of musical theatre in Britain.
1: You know, when you're when, we're, when you when you're in the states and you're in New York and you're working in the industry, there's sort of not a lot of respect given to British musicals. A because we tend to blame all the mega musicals, which are all essentially European and/or British, for what we saw as backsliding of musical theatre writing in the country, but also because any time those of us who are musical theatre geeks would like research the different musicals and listen to the cast recordings, we would just sort of giggle a bit and go, well, how cute, this is all a bit sort of like juvenile and dated and not really that well-crafted.
0: However, he says that while those were his opinions while he was in New York and when he first arrived in London, that things quickly began to change.
1: over so the course of three years, I've seen that that form sort of blossom and bloom and grow incredibly quickly from people who were just starting to write interesting new work to people who are essentially um, in this invisible competition with music theater that's being created in New York.
0: So Savan believes that over the past few years, Britain has shown itself able to create new musical theatre that competes with new American musical theatre. And this concurs with opinions I've heard in other interviews, that Britain is undergoing a musical theatre renaissance. But I think it's also important that that renaissance is channelled and handled correctly in order to make sure that we care about musical theatre in the right way.
1: I no longer have the perspective of British musical theatre sort of being the, you know, the bastard young child of, of New York musical theatre. I sort of see it as gaining quick ground.
0: And why shouldn't we be good at musical theatre, I think? Because our theatre tradition is envied around the world. We're extremely good at creating incredibly well-crafted plays. And we also have an excellent and thriving music scene. But somehow, we haven't yet been able to combine the two regularly.
1: I think the problem still is, is that we're getting too many musical theatre stories that are very antiquated, merchant sort of looking backwards and... Like, who, who really needs another musical of Tess of the those? I certainly don't.
0: And I think that all theatre, for it to be at its most vital, needs to be resonant to the contemporary world. That doesn't mean it needs to be set in the contemporary world, but it certainly needs to be saying something about our present day experience. I think sometimes people confuse the fact that while musical theatre is an excellent medium for adaptation, that like anything, when you adapt it, you have to find a reason for adapting it that fits with the present moment and the present mindset, rather than simply adapting it because it's possible.
1: I'm sort of seeing artists take risks and and look at new stories, and or at least are interested in looking at new stories, or, and aren't just interested in adapting popular English novels that are out of copyright.
0: Sometimes I think that because British musical theatre had its boom in the 1980s, the people in Britain think that musical theatre is a backward-looking medium and that its sound and story should be found in the past. And while this might have been the received view, Savan and I are seeing a change. But Savan thinks that he knows why it's taken 20 to 30 years for the effect of the mega-musical to wear off.
1: Commercial musical theatre has become so commercial and large and mega that's become more about the money-making and less about the art form or the interesting new stories
0: and while musical theatre can be very commercial and can make a lot of money that's not all it is it can also be an art form and I think in America there are shows which are created as art and then manage to find their audience and transition to a commercial world
1: you do occasionally have musicals like like the Piazza and Fun Home that do come out and sort of reaffirm your belief that a commercial musical theatre can still be interesting and challenging and different.
0: The Light in the Piazza is a 2005 musical by Adam Gettle and Craig Lucas, which is based on a 1960 novella by Elizabeth Spencer. Fun Home is a 2013 musical by Janine Tesori and Lisa Kron, which is based upon a graphic novel by Alison Bechdel famous for creating the Bechdel test for female representation in the arts. I would say that neither of these shows have a traditionally commercial sound or subject matter, and both are complicated and intellectual in their treatment of their topics, but yet both of them managed to break through to have commercial Broadway runs and commercial American tours. I think these two examples demonstrate that musical theatre is definitely seen as an art form in America and that musicals aren't just created with the express needs to be commercial, that they can be made as works of art and that sometimes if those works of art are good enough, they can find an audience and still have a commercial life. And I think British musical theatre is starting to see work at that end of the spectrum, which means musical theatre can be created as an art form rather than simply... As something that can make lots of money and that's starting to really change the artists that are working in it and the type of work that they're making and also the british musical theater voice so savannah and i agree that contemporary british musical theater has been held up by the sheer power and success of the 80s mega musicals because they solidified what people thought a musical was and solidified the kind of part of the spectrum which musical theater lived on We then went on to discuss the British musical before the 1980s mega musical, and Savan suggested that they had a lot more in common with British music hall tradition than they did with the American book musical form.
1: Because even Oliver, which I've done twice, so I know very well, strangely enough, um, that has more in common to me with with sort of music hall theater making than it does traditional musical theater. Except for except for the Nancy song, which you look at and you go, Oh, this is like musical theatre drama happening on stage, as mm-hmm. opposed to a bunch of like um pa songs throughout the whole thing. Which I think was I think I think that sort of maybe might have been a bridge between the musical hall aesthetic and musical theatre.
0: I asked Savan if he can explain to me what he thinks is the difference between musical theatre and music hall.
1: I always think of musical as the more refined version of vaudeville theatre in the States. They sort of come out of that same tradition of being very diegetic.
0: Diegetic is the term used to describe when a song is sung by a character who knows that they're singing, so it's quite self-conscious. And so that would be when a character is in a band and they sing their song, or when a pub song is sung, or a drinking song, or a lullaby. Whereas non-diegetic means the character doesn't know they're singing, they're just singing because it's a way of communicating what the characters want to. To say, with the added informational content that music provides.
1: They sort of come out of that same tradition of being very diegetic and performing to the audience and being sort of cheeky, tongue-in-cheek, and uh, sometimes intellectual, sometimes bass, both e- being equally inter- interesting and entertaining. But being very um, stuck in a very specific sound, an aesthetic. They came out of sort of a culture that needed to be entertained. I mean, look at vaudeville in the twenties and thirties, and you know, the depression. Like people needed to be entertained.
0: And I'm not saying that musical theatre shouldn't be entertaining. But I'm saying that perhaps by thinking that musicals can only be entertaining, we've got Stark in thinking that they have to stick to certain stories, types of music, aesthetics, and that they have to be cheeky and self-aware. But music and theatre, when combined, should allow us to do a whole host of varied and interesting things. And we have to be careful not to get stuck in one place.
1: Interestingly, though, I think music hall as a genre or as a fabric is more prevalent here than vaudeville is in the States. I think once vaudeville died, it died.
0: A commonly held dictum for those making musical theatre is that content has to dictate the form. And you have to find the right story, the right content and see what form is dictated by that. I think what Savannah is saying that's interesting about Music Hall and Vaudeville is that they're very, very specific forms and that if you work within those forms, the content comes second. You project that form onto the content that you're making and that part of the evolution of musical theatre has been to leave Music Hall and Vaudeville form behind and that perhaps Britain was slower to do that because of how entrenched it was in our culture. I take this as an opportunity to ask Savan about the musical theatre sound and why the music found in musical theatre is often slightly out of step with the sound of our contemporary music.
1: That's a, that's a problem with the pop music of today, now the problem with musical theatre. A lot of the pop music of today, I mean everyone knows this, pop music back in the day had more to do with musical theatre because there were actual songs written with strong lyrics and stories. They weren't sort of these banal, hackneyed, oh baby baby, oh oh lyrics which you just listen to and go you're not actually listening to a song you're listening to beats and notes so you're not actually being moved by anything like I don't care how much people cry to Miley Cyrus's wrecking ball it's not a good piece of lyric writing or songwriting. Um, so I think it's tough to sort of bring our modern pop music whatever that is or popular music onto the stage unless you really take apart the form and use the sound and blend it with musical theatre writing.
0: I really like that idea of blending, of taking the form of modern pop music and the style of modern pop music, but coding it with richer, more theatrical content. And I think you can compare this to the way that theatrical dialogue tends to be heightened compared to everyday speech. And that if you were to just note down the way we speak to one another in regular life, it would differ from the best theatrical dialogue, which in some way is deconstructed and blended and heightened so that it has the feel of the everyday but encoded with slightly more content and i think this is something that Savannah's saying that we need to do with pop music if we want it to be in musical theater we can't just use pop songs
1: because i mean even oh, no, let's might as well bring it up and get it out of the way even bringing up hamilton the sound is not that 2016 the sound is very old school rap and even the melodies, it's like, there's nothing There's nothing about the melodies that make you go, oh, this is like Frank Ocean or Lemonade, you know? <clears throat> it's very sort of standard musical theatre melodies with um, sounds that take you back to like 90s and 80s rap music.
0: And in discussing contemporary pop music, Savan also suggests that it has too become an entirely money-focused industry.
1: I think popular music writing has become a money-making industry. It's the same with commercial theatre. It's the same exact comparison. There's a reason why it's not... Um, Polished, skilled, whatever, however you want to look at it, or however you want to describe it, because it's so intent on making the, the quickest amount of money possible in the shortest amount of time. So, And when you try to do that, the skill goes out the window. So these rap artists who keep turning out album after album after album, they're not actually really putting that much time and effort into creating good lyrics. I mean, look at Frank Ocean. I personally don't like the albums, but lyrically I appreciate them, and it took him how long between the first and the second? Like, this is a man who's consciously taking his time to create something interesting and new and something that's written well. I
0: then go on to ask Savan about the idea of craft and structure versus formula and the fact that some people have said to me that if they learn too much about the craft and history of musicals from the past, that they'll potentially end up with work that is very formulaic. And I compared this to the idea that in cinema... There are a lot of screenwriting rules which Hollywood likes writers to stick to in the crafting of their screenplays, such as the page 23 first plot twist
1: but i think those formulas again are based on economics of filmmaking and attention spans of audiences so most production companies know that you have a certain budget that you have to hit and every page of screenplay is a is a minute of of screen time which costs so such and such amount of money so you know when you stick to the formula you can pretty much guesstimate how much a film is going to cost and whether audiences will sit through it it's the same thing with theater most people would rather go see a 90-minute play than a three-act play and it's no different in 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 cinema except that it's much more expensive so for them they're like okay we want just sort of this 90 minute film we know that if it's a 90 minute film this has to happen on these so on pages they make it really formulaic but for some reason that formula doesn't always detract from the quality of the writing or storytelling
0: and i think two things firstly that however many constraints you have in terms of page number or narrative beats or structural constraints, that there are always ways to be innovative, even with constraints. There are always ways to use the boundaries you have and still find as much innovation as you can. So there are still an infinite number of stories that can be told even within the parameters of the Hollywood screenplay structure. But the other thing I think is that Savannah's is right about the way that cinema, especially Hollywood, has become obsessed with the economics of it because films are expensive and because they need to find an audience and they need to find a return. And I think similarly, people have become obsessed with the idea that musical theatre is expensive and it needs to appeal to as many different audiences as possible and that it needs to be able to recoup its money. And I think that that can often be corrosive to the originality of art and the depth of art. I suggest to Savan that one of the reasons that people are afraid of their work being formulaic in musical theatre is because of the fact that there are three elements. There's the script, the book, the lyrics and the music and that those three different strands are required to support one another and that if one of them becomes formulaic it leads to the others becoming formulaic too, and that if you look at the past in order to create all three of those strands, then cumulatively, each of those strands will interrelate to form something that's sort of glued together and even more formulaic because of that interaction between those three different strands.
1: Yeah, but but those are elements, not formulas. Like, there's no way you can look at a musical and say, 20 minutes into it, you need to have this number, and then 23 minutes later, this has to happen. You can't really form... Because... Because musicals and theatre in general are based on characters' emotions, and because, for the most part, theatre happens in some form of real-time, whether it's on stage or in the theatre, I think it's hard to attach a formula to it. You can have parameters. Like, you know you have to have conflict and action and some sort of inciting incident. Like, those are basic, you know, formula bits that go into the writing, but I don't think there's any sort of... A plus B equals X (laughs) sort of formula. I think it's impossible to sort of try and do that.
0: And frankly, if there was a formula for writing good musicals, I wish someone would figure it out already because very often I see bad new musicals or musicals which aren't rigorously tested enough or well-crafted enough or haven't looked at some of the principles that are required to make a story engaging, contemporary, resonant, feel-like, It transitions well from scene into song, feel that there's a good reason for people to be singing, feels balanced in general. And I think if there were a formula that people should potentially look at it because then they could enable themselves to write a number of well-crafted, neat musicals. And maybe that's what British musical theatre needs is a number of examples a sort of community or landscape of examples of very well-crafted work. I think people are so often interested in not creating formulaic work; they create work that's quite bad. I'm not saying all the time. I'm just saying some of the time.
1: I'm trying to think of like even the basics of opening numbers. There are some musicals that open right with the opening number. There are some that have like a scene before the opening number. There are some that don't have any. Like you look at Gypsy. There's no real opening number in that. There's the overture and then there's that whole scene in the theater. And then the first actual real song is hers, which is not a knocking number. It's her I want song.
0: So I asked Savan if he thinks the idea of musical theatre being this very restricted and formulaic genre as something that's untrue.
1: Oh, I, agree. I 100% agree. I don't think there's any sort of formula for musical theatre. I think the second you try to put musical theatre in some sort of formula, I think you're doomed to fail. I don't think there is a way to do it. I'm trying to think of all the musicals that I, that I enjoy, and even the ones that I don't enjoy. There, there's no rhyme or reason to why one works over another. I think it's always sort of been about... I mean, I said it's hard with musicals. It's, it's the melody, or the lack of, or the rhythm of the piece, or the characters, or the way the dialogue is written, or the action of it, or the story. And I don't think there's an overall formula. What I think there are, however, are tiny equations that you know will always work. Like, you know that if you're able to seamlessly transition a scene into a song that is, for the most part, always going to work, unless the song is shit, Um, you know, excluding any sort of sense of quality of writing. Songs tend to work better on an audience when they come out of a scene, as opposed to talk, 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 and now there's a song.
0: And I really like this idea of tiny equations, because instead of there being this one humongous master plan, it suggests that there are these small tools and mechanisms and ideas that help to make musicals better. And that's undoubtedly true. But I think very often writers coming to musical theatre for the first time think they have to use this overall master plan and that overall master plan constrains them. And the master plan is an illusion. But what isn't an illusion is the fact there are better ways of turning a scene into a song. There are better ways of using underscoring. There are better ways of writing a song or constructing a lyric or constructing a scene in a musical. And what Savannah is saying is that those better ways can be regulated by tiny equations?
1: I think it's problematic when people go, when people say you can't have the, you can't have formulas, and equations, and structures in, in these things. I think that's wrong. I think there are some tiny equations that have been tried and t- tested and true, and they've always worked. And there's a reason why they work. Um, you know, we are not free forms. We're not a free-form species. There are certain things that affect us all consistently. Um, you know, y- you can't have. I shouldn't say this. You can't have a musical where a character doesn't want anything. You can write one, but an audience is not going to connect to it. So what's the point of writing it then?
0: And I think there's nothing wrong with looking for patterns in the way society and humans relate to things or engage with them. I think there's nothing wrong with then looking for mechanisms for how best to provoke, engage, debate and move society and humans and audiences and that's what savannah is suggesting which is there are patterns and there are principles which help to work with those patterns and that there's nothing wrong with looking for those tiny equations in order that moment by moment a piece actually has the effect of doing what we want it to do
1: but then you have people who sort of want to play around and be post-dramatic and post-modern and create theater it's like that's that's lovely as an exercise but if the point is that you want people to see your piece and get affected by it and be moved by something or to learn something new, you have to create characters that you can relate to. And I'm a firm believer of, of you know, the poetics and sort of the, the, the groundwork that was laid in there, in, incomplete as poetics is.
0: is talking about poetics by Aristotle, which dates back to 335 BCE and is the earliest surviving work of dramatic theory. In Greek, the word poetry means making. And Aristotle's Poetics includes chapters on drama, comedy, tragedy, satire, talks about music, rhythm, harmony, meter and melody in text. It talks about character and it talks about how narrative and storytelling can be best used. Aristotle's work may be well over 2000 years old, but many contemporary writers look to Aristotle for guidance on the craft.
1: I think there are kernels in there that have been in operation, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that have worked. And if
0: millennia-old Greek writings are still being used by screenwriters and dramatists today, I see no reason why we shouldn't be looking for structure and craft in musicals from the past, such as The Music Man or The Sound of Music.
1: Aaron Sorkin said he still uses poetics as his guideline for what he's written. He's not hurting from it. Look at everything he's written. There's not one thing that he's written that you can look at and go, wow, it's a bit of shit, isn't it? Because everything he's done follows those basic tiny equations that Aristotle sets out.
0: And people never say, oh, Aaron Sorkin doesn't sound like himself. People in fact comment on what a distinctive writer Aaron Sorkin is and how stylish and unique his writing is. People even use the term Sorkinesque to describe certain types of writing. But yet Aaron Sorkin would say that he follows Aristotle.
1: And then you have people who, who say, well, we're going to completely subvert what he does and, and blow it apart and make it different. Well, you're doing it for the sake of making it different, not for the sake of creating a new narrative or a new way to tell the narrative. I think you, you come at odds when you try to destroy something just for the sake of destroying.
0: It. I go on to ask Savan why he thinks that British musical theatre seems to be undergoing a renaissance.
1: I think that's also a result of the fact that because we're more globally connected now than we ever have been, we are being, there's sort of this uh, two way influence between American and British media of all kinds. So you've got all these American channels that are now here, including reality TV. In America, you've got BBC America, where we see all the British shows and films. It's the same thing with theatre, all the plays that are, that are going across the pond back and forth. We are now more connected, not only socially but artistically, than we've ever been. So now we're starting to get more of the influence, and we're looking at it and we're going, oh, we can do that, and we can probably do it better. And I think for the longest time, the British musical theatre was dominated by very, very few artists creating.
0: And Savannah is referring to, again, the 80s in which essentially Andrew Lloyd Webber and the Euro musicals uh, produced by Cameron Mackintosh had kind of a monopoly over everyone's expectation and belief of what musical theatre
1: was. So you have an industry that's built on the dominance of one person who had created a certain musical style that then kept getting repeated and copied, repeated and copied. And now you've got artists who are so connected to what's happening in the States and are listening to the cast recordings and are making trips and going to see the shows and are going, we want to create this kind of work and we want to do it better.
0: But one of the side effects I've seen of people throwing out their expectations of the mega musical is that those developing musicals, especially in subsidised theatres, are saying that in order to create a new contemporary musical, we have to throw away the past so we can no longer look for lessons from past musicals when creating new work, because otherwise we can't innovate. And I think that can be problematic because innovation isn't just predicated on throwing away the past, it's based on building on the past.
1: I don't see why everyone is wasting their time worrying about being so revolutionary and churning against the form and there's nothing wrong with following the rules and making them your own like following equations doesn't mean that you end up with a boring piece of theater it's also about the story you tell the characters you have the kind of music that you're using so i think most people ignore most people ignore the equations to their peril um you know this whole thing of wanting to create an anti-musical rule why are we doing it just so that we can see we're doing something different
0: i think the reason people feel the need to reinvent musicals and ignore everything that's gone before is because especially in britain they have a very brightly burning sense of what a musical is and that's often defined by these big brash 80s mega musicals and that's a very difficult thing for people to reconsider and because they feel they know the idea of what a musical is. The idea of creating a musical that in some way is related to that feels perilous. So makers of musicals today feel if they dislike that past, they have to run miles and miles away from it to something where there are no rules, no tiny equations, no principles, and actually there's no context of any sort. And I think you can look at a lot of the musicals that people dislike and find things in them that are done exceptionally well. Things that are well-crafted, things that are are well-realised or well-communicated or moving. And only by looking at what's come before, I believe, are people truly going to find the right equations to be able to make the work work that is the best representation of the stories they want to tell.
1: But the problem is that we tend to ignore the instincts of an audience. We are, again, an instinctual species. There are certain things that affect us in a certain way, the majority of us, not all of us. And I think when you start to deny and ignore how audiences react to certain elements in a piece of theatre, then you're just being intellectually wanky, frankly. You're doing it for the sake of wanting to be different. And this whole notion of anti-musical, why do we need to create an anti-musical? Why does it need to exist other than saying that we're doing something different? Um, and what is an anti-musical? I mean, by its very literal definition, an anti-musical is a musical that doesn't have any music in it. So write a play.
0: And I think very often when people say, oh, musicals are just bad or I don't like them, It's very rarely because they actually have experienced enough of the spectrum of musical theatre to accurately say that. It's often because they haven't experienced the spectrum of musical theatre and have made assumptions based on a very, very small subset of shows. And I get it because the musicals that are broadcast the most, that take up the most airtime, that we hear about most, tend to be of very specific styles and very specific types. But that's not all there is. And I think for people to come into musical theatre, say they want to write a musical and then not do any research and not look into any of the spectrum or history of musical theatre and just say, oh, I don't like everything that's come before. I'm going to innovate is ridiculously arrogant and self-centred. I say to Savan that it seems to be the received opinion in Britain that musical theatre is something to look down upon and that even that people enjoy it say that they enjoy it because it's fun or big or exhilarating but rarely because they think of it as an art form and I ask him whether his experience of America is different.
1: I think it's respected. Uh, It's um, it's respected as an art form, it's respected as um, being sort of difficult to create and I think it's probably more publicly accepted especially with all these live versions of musicals on TV. They're sort of making a huge resurgence With with music and TV shows, the the live performances of musicals. Um, The Tony Awards this year had the most amount of viewers this year than I think in the last maybe eight years. I mean, it was really highly viewed this year. And it's not that the London audiences don't respect musicals. It's that I don't think they have yet been trained to know that there's a whole other wing of musical theatre making that's happening.
0: So even though there are British artists who are hearing what's happening in America and cottoning on to the fact that it's possible that we can do that in Britain, there are still vast swathes of audience for theatre and of the population who haven't made that leap into understanding what musical theatre is or can be. I then asked Savan, knowing what he knows about craft and history of musical theatre, that if he was advising someone who was interested in getting into writing musicals but didn't know an awful lot, what would his advice to them be...
1: It's about studying the history of what's come before you. Read read the musicals in libretto form. Read the lyrics just as lyrics. If they are recordings of these things, listen to them, watch them. Study how it's being done. Not to copy it, but to see what the, the consistent things are between all the musicals, how you can play around with what's being offered, or how you can break certain things that are, that are being used. And by virtue of doing that, you sort of create... Um, a central knowledge base that you can then branch out of.
0: This is clearly very good advice because Savan isn't saying you should look at the past and copy it. He's saying, look at the past, study the musicals that have gone before, look for consistencies, look for differences, look for things that you like, look for things that work, look for things that you don't like that don't work, and then use them to build up a knowledge base. And it's something I always say... that a musical can potentially take a number of years to put together and a similar amount of time maybe to getting your PhD. And you wouldn't do a PhD in a topic without reading around the subject, even reading texts that disagreed with your central thesis or texts that were outdated or outmoded. And I don't think writing a musical should be any less respected than any other intellectual or artistic pursuit. So I agree with Savan. Look to the past interrogate the past, don't just swallow it, and build up your own personal knowledge base from that to be able to make your own
1: art. And it's not also just about reading and studying, um, and not necessarily from an academic point of view, but definitely an academic point of view. I think it's also about, you read all the books written by these masters, you, you see what they have to say about the craft of writing, but then you enter into discussions about it, you, you talk about it, you have people who are smart enough... Um, on the other side of the desk to be able to, to, in a room full of writers go, to ask them questions, to provoke them.
0: And I think it's very important to know what's come before, but also to resist against it, to look at principles and to suggest that they may not work for you at that current time. I think it's very good to debate against the norms, but in order to debate, you need to know what those norms are. And part of building a community is to have groups of people who cluster together and talk to one another and debate and throw things back and forward to one another. And any genre that's evolved and had paradigm shifts works from people working within a paradigm and messing with and fiddling with and playing with existing rule sets until those rule sets break and the paradigm shifts. And that happens in science and philosophy and politics. So why shouldn't it happen in musical theatre? Following this, Savannah and I went on to further discuss paradigm shifts, and I compared the idea of the paradigm shift as related to the work of American philosopher of science, Thomas Kuhn, who suggested that there were eras of puzzle solving within an existing paradigm, and then gradually the puzzles begin to break, and eventually that's a sign that the paradigm is shifting and eventually the paradigm shifts and we move into a new era of puzzle-solving science. So there are eras of working within the rules, finding that those rules break, and then building new rules. And so, for example, in science, that was the difference between Newtonian science, where there was this existing central universal clock, and realising there was some science that began to break those rules, and then Einstein discovered relativity and a new form of paradigm was found. And in American musical theatre, something similar happened, by which there was the musical theatre of Rodgers and Hammerstein, which was taken on by Stephen Sondheim, and Stephen Sondheim broke the rules of what S- Rodgers and Hammerstein were suggesting and made a a new type of musical theatre and then that musical theatre potentially was taken up by writers like Jonathan Larson or Adam Gettle, reinterpreted and shifted to form a new era, a new paradigm and then that work was shifted, reinterpreted and bent into a new paradigm by someone like Limonor Miranda when he wrote Hamilton.
1: But for me it's not about necessarily always creating new paradigms, yes you can create new paradigms. For me it's always been, and for me as as an artist it's been how can I shift the paradigm or how can I turn it around so for example I'm, I was so used to in New York be, as an actor and as a writer having to do what essentially I, I deemed as um, docudramas of the brown problem like looking at Middle Eastern characters as, as either terrorists or victims and it's like that is the current paradigm now how do we shift it I'm not necessarily interested in creating a new one but let's turn it around 180 and look at the other side of it and that to me is interesting is how do you, what's the new perspective of these stories what's the new way that we can approach the story what's a new story that can be told It doesn't always have to be about creating a new form. Like, start with the basic place of a new, different story. And that can sometimes be just enough.
0: And it's interesting to be reminded again of the fact that we have to start with a story, and that story has to come from a perspective. And challenging the perspective that a story comes from or the established norms of what stories need to be told is also a way of innovating. And that if you do that once again, you create that content, and from that content you look for the right form of telling that story then that's innovation, without necessarily needing to innovate the form and make a paradigm shift each I time you're and Savannah is saying that not only do we need to find new stories, but we also need to learn to find new perspectives. And we also need to make sure that our theatre has a social conscience, that it exists in order to combat political and social paradigms just as surely as it does to resist existing principles of musical theatre. I think one of the reasons that Savan is such an interesting writer is because of his biography, because of the fact he knows what it is to be an outsider, and he also knows what it is to move a lot and learn to integrate within a new community. So because of that, he has experience of being both an insider and an outsider, of observing the dynamics that make up new communities, and also being aware of what it means and why it's required to have a social conscience and why the stories that we tell and the theatre that we have can be an agent of change.
1: But I think that's why Sondheim is still untouchable because he was socially conscious in all his pieces. And listen, Sondheim never followed popular musical trends. None of his musicals you can listen to and go... Oh, that's an 80s musical. Oh, that's a 90s musical. They're all very located in a very specific time and place which belonged to the world of the piece. But he was socially and politically conscious of in everything that he did. One of my favorite lyrics of his that I, that I try to live by is, anything you do, let it come from you, then it will be new. And I think a lot of writers tend to forget that. They're not writing about anything that comes from them. They tend, they're wanting to write about the things that they sort of see and go, oh, this could be popular, this could be commercial, this could make money, this could be different. As opposed to, what do you want to say? What do you want to write about? What are you investigating about the world? And it doesn't have to be an issues musical. And I
0: think it's important in any art form to actually have something to say. And I think that's one of my favourite Stephen Sondheim lyrics ever. And it's always worth repeating. Anything you do, let it come from you, then it will be new. And that's a way of saying, you can say something that's been said before, but if it comes from you, if it comes from your need to say it, then it will be new. Or... You can find a new way of saying something by by speaking directly from the things that concern you. It works both ways.
1: There's something to be said for theatre that says something. And I take issue with people who go, well, it doesn't have to say anything, it doesn't have to mean anything. Well, then why are you doing it? Don't waste my time as an audience member. And why are you wasting your time just for the sake of being different and alienating an audience? You know, you have, and there's nothing wrong with saying something and being entertaining.
0: I think very often people say that they want musical theatre to be a good night out, and they want it to make an audience laugh and entertain them. And I don't think that musical theatre shouldn't do these things, but I also think it can do a lot more besides those things. And as Savan says, it has to have something to say. And if it has something to say and it can achieve those things, that's great. But it can also have something to say and move. An audience and unsettle an audience and leave them thinking afterwards and I think the core of musical theatre or theatre in general or art in general isn't necessarily just to entertain or just to make people laugh it's to say something and the way in which that thing is said can be interpreted a huge number of different ways and the way in which that effect resonates into an audience can be very very different but I think if we start out by saying art has to communicate something from an artist to a receiver. And that is equally true for musical theatre as it is for any other art form. I asked Savan why musical theatre was so important to him as an art form, as a medium, and as a writer.
1: I mean, obviously, my love affair with the form started because it was sort of my saving grace when I was a refugee in America, picking up randomly Stephen Sondheim's Follies, in the music store just because I saw the cover and I went oh that looks cool let me just I don't even know what the hell this is and sort of taking it home and listening to it and going what the hell is this and then sort of like falling in love with it which is why the overture still gives me chills to this day um and sort of looking at it and going oh that's interesting why did that do that to me I mean I didn't really have a history of musicals I mean I grew up in the Middle East and I think the only musicals I saw were the movie musicals everyone else did like Mary Poppins and Annie and Inherently, I didn't necessarily see them as musicals. I saw them as movies with songs. So my first exposure to a theatrical musical was Sondheim. I think it's sort of ruined me ever since.
0: I asked Savan, as an outsider coming to London, what his perspective was of British musical theatre when he arrived.
1: You know, it's funny, that first year, I didn't really um, look into any musicals that were being done here. I, I focused so much on the plays that were being done. And then slowly but surely, I started being introduced to all the people who were creating musical theatre work. But what I found curious for me was that I, there was, I, I often didn't see the distinction or the defining line between plays and musicals. Because plays here are so multi-genre and multidisciplinary. Like, look at the work of John Tiffany and Stephen Hoggart, and you're like, they're able to use movement and music in plays that would traditionally be reserved for musicals.
0: And this is something I've said before and I find very confusing because there are plays made in Britain which are so multidisciplinary and so integrated and function on a lot of the same levels as musical theatre does and can. But yet the creators of that work resist the idea of making musical theatre and resist the idea of what the new British musical is because potentially they're slightly afraid of making musical theatre.
1: And I think the reason why I didn't sort of want to explore musical theatre in England is because of that New York bias, that American bias of going, oh, it's pretty juvenile and they're not really doing anything that interesting and it's all this oom papa stuff and cheesy lyrics and cheesy humour. But then the more I started to meet the people who were creating the new musicals, I went, these people are being influenced by American musicals and are driven to want to create something that's better than. And so because of that, they're sort of turning their back on the traditional musical theatre forms in London and saying, no, we can do something better, something different.
0: And I think arriving in Britain three years ago, Savan definitely did seem to arrive at the right time.
1: The shift I've seen in three years is remarkable. Now, I do think I came at the right time, and I do think that I needed to come here at the right time in order for me to feel free enough to write musicals. And I didn't, I didn't avoid writing musicals because I thought I don't know how to write one. I avoided it because I thought I know it's difficult and I don't want to rush it. And it takes, and for me, it was about finding the right collaborators. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to start doing it until I knew I had a strong community of people to write a musical with, because it's not something I can do on my own.
0: And I don't think it's something that anybody can do on their own. I think it's something that requires collaboration and dialogue and a community and an established set of norms and principles which can be discussed, debated, reacted against, reflected upon. I think the idea that anyone thinks that they should be doing this in a vacuum is bizarre. I asked Savan what he thinks his unconventional backstory and heritage has meant for his relationship with musical theatre.
1: I have an unconventional pedigree and an unconventional background, but I'm obsessed with conventional ways of making theatre, and I think that's partially because I was raised in a naturalistic form of theatre making in New York, and it wasn't until I came to London that I sort of started exploring other non-conventional approaches to creating theatre, whether that be incorporating physical theatre or music into my work. That's not musical theatre based.
0: Again, we loop round to the topic of theatre needing to say something, of having a point and a reason.
1: As an artist, you sort of have a a responsibility, I firmly believe, to say something about the world, to investigate something, to provoke, to question, to dissect. It's that Arthur Miller quote that I adore where he says that I could not imagine a theatre worth my time that did not want to change the world. I think when we treat theatre as superfluous, it becomes theme park entertainment. And
0: I wonder if sometimes Brits think of musical theatre as theme park entertainment and Americans think that it can change the world.
1: I think they're divided in America between it just being light entertainment for tourists and bridge and tunnel crowds and it being a serious form. I think in London right now they think it is light entertainment. But there's a move towards people understanding and realising, wait, we can actually do something with this. We can actually change something with this. We can actually take it, improve it, make it better and make it our own. And that's what's exciting to me. When
0: people say to me that they hate musicals, I always reply that music is such an integral part of all of our lives. There's music when we get married. There's music at our funerals. There's music at political rallies. There's music when people chant in the streets or at football matches. Music is everywhere. Music helps us connect to the most important moments in our lives, our memories, our nostalgia, our excitement, our exhilaration, and music is our stories, and it's connected in a very real way to our background, our backstory, and our character. So surely there should be a way of combining how important music is to us culturally with our stories and with our theatre.
1: There's a very primal thing about musical about music. Period. I don't. I don't think I've ever met anyone who says I hate music I don't listen to music, I think it's impossible because from a very scientific point of view, the notion of binaural beats and rhythms and how they affect your synaptic firings it's true, it's real, it happens music moves and affects people because it has something to do with our biorhythms, it just does so when you have a musical that is able to access that certain rhythm of your own biology it works But it doesn't work for everyone, because we're all different. Not everything is for everyone. There are people who are not going to like musicals, and that's fine. I don't know why we're so focused on, let's create musicals for people who hate musicals. Why? What do do we hope to gain out of it? Surely there's other ways we can bring those people into the fold, or try to. And if it turns out that they really just don't like musicals, because they just don't like people singing on stage, then fine, that's completely all right.
0: I suggest to Savannah that the reason I like musicals is because... They allow me to engage more deeply with my emotions, with my perspective on the world, with my philosophy. And I also think that when they're done right, they can provide a tremendous amount of catharsis for an audience.
1: That's a very Aristotelian thing, that cathartic thing. I think the best theatre for me moves me in one way or shape or the other and or says something about the world that I live in or about the world period. When you can do both, I think that makes a damn stellar musical.
0: So what have I learned from Savan? Firstly, that musical theatre should be resonant to our present world. That doesn't mean it needs to be set in the present day, but it needs to speak to now for it to be relevant. Musical theatre is an ephemeral art form. It exists only for the moment that it's being performed and only for the audience that sees it. And that audience has to feel something that relates to them. Secondly, that we can't have formulas for the entirety of musical theatre, but there are tiny equations to create stronger musicals. We have to acknowledge that there are things that work, that there are things that are based on time-honoured history and tradition, and that most ignore those tiny equations and those formulas at their peril. Thirdly, that we have to focus on characters and story, on reasons for wanting to tell those stories rather than simply finding ways of making shows to make money, or for other reasons. As always, the content has to dictate the form. Fourthly, it's important for artists to create a central knowledge base. What do you dislike or admire about past work? How can you use the tools and tiny equations of what's worked in the past, the craft and the history of musical theatre to tell your story? How can you decide what you have to say, what's burning inside you? But how also can you figure out how to communicate that most effectively, using the traditions and knowledge of what the human race is, how it functions, and what storytelling mechanisms and devices have worked well in the past? Fifth, there are paradigm shifts in any medium, whether that's science, philosophy, or art. And there are paradigm shifts too in musical theater. And the way all paradigm shifts work Is that you have to know how to work within the current paradigm, how to use current rule sets and then how to subvert and twist current rule sets until they bend and break and then a new paradigm is formed. Paradigms aren't formed in a vacuum, they're formed by looking at what came before, acknowledging it, subverting it, resisting it and finding your own stories within the paradigm. Finally, We need to create a team of collaborators and an overarching community in order to start having a conversation about what art is, how it exists in the contemporary moment, and how what art is connects to our individual need to speak. As Arthur Miller says, we should want to create theatre that changes the world. And I completely agree. And I also think musical theatre should be able to change the world. But in order to do that, it has to be able to say something. discord is hosted and produced by me adam lenson our co-producer is emma clauber editorial assistance is from daisy tute michael conley jonathan lenson sarah middleton and oliver soames our incidental music is by lp Legrande. our theme music is by luke bateman